everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Real Conversations about Aging Parents. I am going to talk about a topic that I probably should have talked about very much earlier in the podcast as it's come up a million times. And that is a topic of falls. And I just saw another article run, I think it was in uh, the Washington Post about older adults and falls. And I, I know it's come up in anxiety and fear about somebody falling or as part of somebody's story of how they came to know that somebody needed help. So just in the, the last two podcasts we did with Stephen, the telltale sign that was communicated him was your dad is falling a lot. He's falling out of his chair. And th- this can be an early signal that there are some extra attention needed for somebody who's experiencing falls. But before we get to that, why is this such a big deal nationally? So what is what is the scope of what falls can do negatively in the older population? And so first and foremost, it is the primary both fatal and non-fatal injury in the 65 and up age group. And that's for both head injuries and for orthopedic fractures, uh, such as femur fractures, hip fractures, those types of things. There's about 3 million emergency department visits annually per the CDC. About 800,000 of those patients actually end up being hospitalized. It's a great cost to the society to have falls. It's over $50 billion, with the vast majority of that handled by Medicare or taxpayer money through uh, federally funded healthcare programs. And so anyway, it it's a big deal. It is a big threat to people in older age and has a lot of complications associated with it. So I know you all know all that. But my focus today is going to be on breaking it down, one, to better understand what falls are, the different types of falls, and then, of course, the ways that we can prevent them. So let's just talk first about different buckets of where we can, different types of falls. So we'll talk about three different buckets. These are not scientific buckets, but they're ways to conceptualize different reasons that people fall. And because there's different reasons for that, then there's different approaches to how we can help. So the first one is what's called a mechanical fall. And so the story there is going to be somebody who is otherwise doing okay, that trips over something in the environment or something in the environment fails, like a a stair or a handrail, and they end up on the floor. So common causes would be tripping and falling over toys that were left out or a small dog or a loose rug or just new shoe or footwear that is somehow challenging the way somebody is walking and it ends up causing them to trip and fall. So when we say a mechanical fall, What that tells me clinically is we're pretty sure we knew why this happened, right? So everything was okay. The stair broke. The person ended up on the ground. Okay, that all makes sense to me as to why they ended up on the ground. And mechanical falls are, just like any other falls, associated with fractures. And those fractures can be from outstretched arms and hands trying to grab yourself or, or, I'm sorry, brace yourself before you hit the ground. So you'll see a lot of wrist fractures arm fractures, or once you actually hit the ground, you may end up having a pelvic fracture or a hip fracture or even a femur fracture. Those are very, very common, especially when you have other comorbidities in place, such as osteoporosis or or things like that that would make you more prone to having fractures. But when somebody comes with a mechanical fall, usually there's a pretty clear story. Uh, they're a little bit less likely to have a head injury associated with this because 
they're usually aware that they're falling. So they can put their arms out, they might twist, they might try to land a certain way, but there's some awareness, even in that split second between the fall starting and the fall ending. And if you've ever fallen, you know that that can be a flash before your eyes or seem like forever. But this idea is that you're still awake as the fall is occurring and you have some instincts, some reflexes to help, if possible, reduce the damage coming from the fall. So you're unlikely to try to land on your head. You're more likely trying to land on an elbow or an outstretched arm or something like that. So that's in the bucket of mechanical falls. The next is, I would say, more like muscle or uh, muscle-related or weakness-related falls. And so these are not mechanical falls. Something didn't get in the way, but you'll hear the description that my knees gave out on me or I went to stand up and I was just two weeks and I, and I fell or slid down. And these are usually more associated with, with, like I said, weakness or some other giving out of the, the, the foundational structure. So usually the legs, the core strength, that type of thing. And those are not as common. And usually they're not as injurious or causing as much injury because these are usually kind of like a sit down or a, sli- a slide down off of something. You're not, you know, walking forward at, you know, three miles an hour and then trip and fall forward. This is usually like when upon standing, somebody feels like that they're going to fall and they kind of slip back down. So the third bucket, which is the one that causes the most concern clinically, is unexplained fall. And it's usually just called with a syncopal episode. So somebody passes out. And when they present to the emergency room, that story sounds much more like, I don't know what happened. I was standing in my kitchen cooking spaghetti. And the next thing I know, I was on the ground. So you can tell that already sounds a lot different than a mechanical fall which has sort of a, a longer storyline to it, and you're you're present the entire time. And this is much more like a blackout or a sudden loss of awareness. And that requires a much more extensive medical workup because you're thinking, well, how did this person just suddenly lose their awareness, their ability, their like their the blood supply to their head, or what happened that they seemed like they were okay, and then suddenly they're on the ground. And that does require a, a cardiac workup to see if there's a heart-related reason that they would suddenly go unconscious. Maybe the heart's beating irregularly and there's not enough blood getting to the brain, and then that person passes out. Or is there a neurological issue going on, such as a seizure? or some other issue that's causing them to suddenly lose awareness. And there's, so anyway, you just get into seeing multiple specialists to go through a laundry list of the, what we call the differential diagnosis, the reason that somebody could have suddenly fallen without any explanation. And that is usually weeks to months of investigation to try to figure out how this happened in an effort to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And so those types of falls are a little bit more dangerous because remember how we talked about with mechanical falls, you're aware of what's happening and maybe you have a little bit of time to to try to avoid the most serious injuries. But when you're standing up and you're totally fine and the next moment you have no awareness of your body in space, then you just do a like basically a uh, a dead weight fall from standing. And if you're about, say, five and a half feet tall, then your head is having a five foot fall from standing and hitting whatever is there because you're not able to brace yourself. You're not able to protect yourself. And you'll see this like if you've ever been like 
in a really hot concert or, I don't know, county fair or something, and somebody gets overheated and they faint, it looks very violent if you've ever seen it happen because they are not protecting any part of their body. And so when they fall, they just literally fall like a bag of potatoes. Like there is no way that that person is protecting their head or their any other part of their body as they're falling. And so this is going to have a higher rate of head injuries and and the more serious side effects of falls, in addition to a, a greater medical mystery that requires some more attention than, hey, I was fine, I tripped over my dog, you know, my hip hurts, and, and kind of move on from there. And so when we say falls, again, there's that big umbrella of falls, but there's a lot of different reasons that somebody might fall. And, and your concern level might fluctuate a little bit with what the reasons are. And so if anybody did say, uh, if you're getting somebody to tell you that about a fall, the types of questions that you would want to ask is really the the circumstances around it, um, because that just totally changes the context of the severity, the concerns, the level of injury possible, and also just the idea that it, the, the likelihood that it might happen again. And so if it's the small dog that caused somebody to fall and the dog was visiting from another family member's house and that dog is removed, well, maybe that doesn't happen again. But if we're having falls because of an undiagnosed irregular heartbeat, or an untreated or undertreated one, then that could be a different story. So that could be a recurrent fall that might continue to happen until that is diagnosed and treated or or so forth. So anyway, that's the big, big picture of falls. It's a big deal. It's extremely common, but there's a lot of different reasons to have falls. I will say, kind of going into the way that we think about them, there's a lot of obsession usually around the person supporting an aging parent to try to prevent them from falling. And if you talk to people who are elderly, especially those who have already fallen, there's a lot of anxiety about being the one who falls, right? So let's dive a little bit more into that mindset. When you talk to elderly people that have fallen before, they describe a sense of complete helplessness, in addition to the actual pain of falling, right? It's a very uncomfortable situation. And then especially for people that live alone, and I've heard this story over and over and over again, is this deep-seated, understandable fear and anxiety that nobody will find them and they can't get to the help that they need. And I've had so many patients tell me they fall just a few feet out of range from their cell phone. And so their cell phone might have been on a nightstand or on the bed, and they fall right next to it. And because of the circumstances of the fall, can't reach their reach anybody because of the distance between them and their communication device. And typically that story will go that somebody will notice that they haven't called in a while or they haven't come out of their house and then they call the police or EMS and there's a safety check and then somebody is found on the ground. Now, there's a lot of medical complications that increase with the amount of time that somebody is on the ground without any help. So somebody's on the ground for five minutes and gets help pretty much right away. That's a totally different scenario than what I've seen as people that were down for five days. And once you're down for five days, you have a lot of other medical complications, including kidney injuries, severe dehydration, muscle breakdown, bruising, untreated fractures, uncontrolled pain, those types of things. Man, this is a really Debbie Downer podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just thinking about this. But I will we'll, we'll tie it up at the end and talk about some some ways that we can kind of manage our anxiety around this. Anyway, okay. 
enough about how terrible falls are, but we think we're worried for somebody else. Your worry won't match somebody who has already found themselves in a fall situation and how terrifying that is for them. And so this can go a couple of different ways. One is just the idea of having fallen, especially if they've had some sort of injury, will can have uh, a great impact later on their quality of life just over the fear of falling itself. So they may participate less in their community. They may do less of the things they like. They may tend to want to stay at home. They may tend to want to limit their walking, which creates other problems, right? Because they're not as active, but they also don't want to fall. And so we've had patients that we have cleared to walk, like you are medically stable, you can walk, and they won't. And that's because of the anxiety and fear of walking. And it's the same when somebody gets in a car accident. They can have a lot of anxiety and fear about being in a vehicle after that or even returning to driving. And it's a very similar concept there that obviously the brain has noticed that this activity is associated with a bad outcome and so will want to avoid it. And so being aware and being sensitive to the natural reaction of the brain to a, to a fall or to an injury like that can be helpful in understanding somebody else's experience. Now, if we go back to the two episodes we just did with Stephen, and then I think we've mentioned it before, people who are falling and are otherwise unbothered by it, right, tend to have a cognitive issue going on because there'd be very few cognitively present and fully present adults that would have falls with injuries and not really pay mind to it because it is a big deal. It does require usually a lot of intervention and rehabilitation. And so anyway, I always get worried when somebody is falling a lot and they're not seeking help. They're not worried about it. They're not asking for, uh, I don't know, accommodate, you know, accommodations in the home or, or whatever it is. And they're not developing any anxiety about it. And to me, that's sometimes a signal that there's something cognitively processing wise that's not going well. But anyway, so how do we manage this? So we've got several different forms of anxiety. So there's the the elderly person themselves worrying about not wanting to fall, right? And then there's a person or their support system supporting them that also doesn't want them to fall. But then we get to this point of like, well, then do we just bubble wrap somebody and strap them to the bed? And I'll tell you, in, in the long story, in the long history of hospital medicine, when people that were fall risks used to be basically restrained in their bed. Like, okay, I know a good way to not let you fall. We'll just make sure you can't get out of bed. Well, then of course, as you as we learn, well, restraining people in bed has its own problems for your lungs and your bowels. And oh, by the way, it can be very disheartening and disorienting to be strapped to a bed. And then we go to getting bed alarms in a hospital system. So if somebody stands up that's not supposed to stand up, this big alarm goes off and hopefully it prompts them to sit back down or bring staff in there. But even in big, big hospital systems with staff present 24-7, patients still fall. Every major hospital system you go to is going to have some sort of fall prevention coordinator or falls committee or somebody who's responsible for analyzing each and every fall within that system. And so even in the most controlled systems with the highest amount of support, we still have falls. And even on the units I've worked on, I can literally have a nurse's aide sitting there with the patient. But if they stand up and find themselves on the ground in a split second, we have had, we can't prevent every single fall. We can reduce the chances that it might occur. We can mitigate everything. But even in the max mitigation scenarios, 
we've still had falls. And so anyway, so going back to the anxiety about falling, let's talk about managing it from the perspective of the the elderly person who is worried about falling. And I, yes, I am hesitating to call anybody over 65 elderly. I'm just trying to distinguish the aging parent from the adult support system, but whatever you want to call it. So for the senior who is having anxiety about falling, then there's a couple of different strategies that we use. One of them is sort of a more basic. There's a checklist put out by AARP and some recommendations from the CDC about things that can be done around the home that can reduce the risk of falls. And I can I'll I'll link those in the show notes, but it's a lot of what you already know. So you don't want to have uh, loose carpet. You don't want to have water on the floor. And and doing risk mitigation in the home setting, most importantly, to reduce the chance that there's going to be a fall in the home. Now, even within the home, the most common place to fall is in the bathroom. And so a lot of that goes back to design and lighting and just grab bars and having an environment that is conducive to keeping somebody from falling. So that's just a a more basic intervention. Like, can we walk through the home and fix the things we can fix if possible? Or is there too too much clutter on the floor? Can things be cleared out, better organized? And then you start to take control of the things that you can control when it comes to falls. And so the environment is a big one, an absolute big one. The second one that I think we don't emphasize enough and doesn't really end up on these checklists with AARP and the CDC and so forth is just the idea of the physical maintenance of balance. Um, And there's a lot of studies that looking at things like yoga and tai chi that reduce, statistically reduce falls in the elderly, but, or seniors, whatever, sorry, I'm using all sorts of words, but we don't really, uh, it's, I mean, that's just maybe a mindset of Western medicine, but it's not like we discharge people with a femur fracture and say, I think you should do more tai chi, but you'd be shocked at the statistical evidence for these types of interventions to help prevent falls overall. And so we really don't want to overlook the idea of physical conditioning. In fact, one of my colleagues, I was talking with this about her uh, a couple months ago, and she mentioned to me that she pays out of pocket for a physical therapist, private pay, not even through insurance, to come and visit her mom and dad once a week. I think it's like $150 or something like that. And she said, I would much rather them maintain their physical conditioning with a professional who understands how to do that than pay for or go through what it would ha- what would happen if they ended up falling. And so that that preservation of function, which is really your lower body strength, your balance, your core as well, that helps keep you upright, it keeps you walking safely that's worth its weight in gold. And again, we kind of overlook that because there is no medication that's going to help prevent falls. There's no surgery, right? This is a mechanical and physiological phenomenon. And going back to that reducing the anxiety, it's promoting the focus on the things that we can control outside of the environment. And that just goes back into your own actual physical body and where it is in space. And so whether that's going to a gym or having a walking program or like this person I was speaking with that actually has a physical therapist hired, but thinking about somebody who's ambulating and walking okay and thinking of it from a preservation standpoint instead of a fear or protectionism standpoint, like them walking 
is going to keep them from falling. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because we think, well, the more they walk, the higher chance they're going to fall, but it's the opposite of that. The more that somebody is physically active and they're maintaining and challenging their balance and their core and lower body strength, that's actually going to help prevent the falls from happening overall. So we talked about the environment and we talked about preserving your ability to to walk and, and fall prevention. The next one is just having it as a topic when you're in regular doctor's appointments. A lot of the medications we use, not just in the older population, but just in general, do have a fall risk. So Benadryl, so we use this for allergies and to help sleep, especially in the older population, will increase the risk of falls. And going through the medication list one by one with somebody who's knowledgeable about those medications and really understanding the potential fall risk for that versus what the medication is supposed to be doing, I think would be helpful. So for example, some of the blood pressure medications out there do help keep their blood pressure low, but they also have an inconvenient side effect of reducing your balance, especially when you're standing up. So if you're on a, a class of drugs called beta blockers, like metoprolol or propanolol, atenolol, those types of things. So those slow the heart rate and lower the blood pressure. But when you suddenly stand up, your body isn't as able to get that blood up to your brain. And so you have this period of lightheadedness or feeling off balance. And that's a higher risk for falls as well. So not going through again and just taking off everything that might increase falls, but just being aware of it just in general of what is the possible contributors to that person's risk profile. And there are even calculators online that go through and take into account your age, your physical abilities, your prior history, your medications, and can spit out sort of this like statistical number of how high of a fall risk are you. Another common thing that is a factor in this, this maybe not so much can be controlled like the other things we just talked about, but the rate of diabetes, especially in this area that I live in, is very high. And one of the unfortunate side effects of diabetes is is reducing sensation or feeling in the feet. And so now we have somebody who has blood sugar problems, maybe going up and down, up and down, and they can't feel their feet. So these are also just sort of a, a an accumulation of different risk factors that happen. And in any given individual, they might have a combination of these factors to be aware of. But I go back to the point of helping to mitigate some of the anxiety by controlling what you can control. So just in summary, that's the physical environment, that person physically, their physical abilities and their strength, and then just the medical side of it. Are they informed and aware about their medications, maybe medication interactions, standing up more slowly, those types of things. So that's for the older adult, but that does not prevent somebody supporting them from having also extreme fear about falls. So this came up in episode eight with Sally, and I actually named that podcast, What If Mom Falls Down the Stairs and Dad with Dementia. But the reason I wrote that is because it it reminded me of one of the main reasons that people worry and, and I'm understandably and want to reactively restrict somebody else's mobility or movement or activities in an effort to reduce their risk of falling. And I uh, talked about this a little bit in the podcast about guilt and how we try to prevent something for somebody else, even if we can't control it completely. I think a lot of the anxiety as the adult supporting a senior about falling is like trifold, fourfold. I don't know. Maybe let's go through this. The first is 
okay, if I'm not a sociopath, I don't want people to fall because that causes injury to them and suffering. And so I don't want somebody to fall. I don't want anybody to fall because of the injury and suffering that comes from that. Okay, so we'll just put that up on the shelf. That should be a given for most of us, right? What I think comes in right behind that, that we don't admit as much, is that falls, especially when associated with more than an ER visit, are very disruptive. They're disruptive to that person. They're disruptive to the person supporting them. Because once you get into this hospitalization, and then you get into a surgery, and then you get into a situation where uh, that person can't return home safely, so they end up going to a rehab facility or setting. They stay there for a couple of weeks and and need support through that. And then they might need to come home. Hopefully, they can come home and then need some extra help in the house to transition back. The, the whole thing... It, it is quite the journey, right? It is not sort of a pop in and pop out type thing. And so I feel like some of the anxiety is not just, oh my God, I don't want you to fall and I don't want you to suffer. Again, we'll put that number one because we're not sociopaths. But number two is, oh my gosh, that would be a lot for both of us, wouldn't it? Right? And so you can see that people acting out of that place can become overly concerned or overly kind of conservative, if you will, to try to help prevent falls for that person. And although I will say if it's me, I'm probably saying, well, I don't want you to fall. But what's also true is, well, I don't want you to fall and I don't want the disruption that it will take for both of us if you do fall, which sounds horrible, but I'm just being transparent. So that's number, that's really, I think, like I said, that close second on the idea of falls. And then number three, which is maybe a little bit more theoretical, is I don't want to think that you're somebody who falls. And I say that only because that is a telltale thing that comes with aging and associated with things like frailty or fragility or and and as they increase in the rate, so the more falls, clinically we think of that as more going towards like a end-of-life type setting, right? So there are not a lot of older adults who can tolerate multiple fall after fall after fall without having some sort of high mortality complication. And so I think in my head, it's like I I would have to process and grieve in some way, whether it was happening to me or somebody that I was taking care of, that this is this is what this looks like now. Again, I go back to the, our initial discussion, you know, are these just highly explainable mechanical falls that make total sense and should never happen again? Or is this that Stephen mentioned in the last couple of podcasts, dad's just fallen out of his chair and nobody knows why, right? So those prognosis pictures are a little bit different. But anyway, and so going back to that like soft number three is I think the occurrence, or at least the repetitive falls, would start to spell maybe some need for more intervention, a different setting, and so forth. When Nana fell a couple of weeks ago, I had this flash moment in my head of thinking, I'm so glad that we were here. And we'll talk about what are some options if we weren't here. But it did take two of us to help get her upright and back into bed, and she was hurting pretty bad the next day. Now, not like enough to take her to the emergency room or something. I didn't see any. She was still able to walk and didn't have any bruising or anything. But still, anytime you're 90 years old and you got to pick your bones up off the floor, <laughs> that is uh, that is not a comfortable situation. Just to, to reset for a moment, we talked about the different types of falls 
We've talked about different areas of intervention that you can help prevent falls. I'm going to talk briefly about technology, and that has changed greatly just in the last five years or so to help us prevent and react to falls differently than we would have for sure 10, 15 years ago. And so one of that, one of those options, and and I'm not suggesting any of these is right for your family or one size fits all. So let's talk about one form of technology, which is like basically video surveillance. And this is not uncommon, especially for uh, older adults who are living alone and a child basically puts a camera, used to be a baby monitor, but now you can just buy a camera that has live streaming to a phone or other device. And putting that camera in the bedroom and then periodically checking it to see if somebody has fallen or if they can't get a hold of somebody. So say they haven't gotten a call or a text message in a few days that they can zoom in, especially if they're out of town or out of state and check on somebody. Of course, you always have to balance that with privacy and consent. But for people that are really trying to find ways to assist somebody out of town or that it isn't living with them, a lot of times that ends up looking like having a, a camera in the room. And you can even see this in like uh, subacute rehab type settings. There'll still be a camera in those rooms. And those families are habituated to interacting and checking on their loved ones through uh, a camera system. I've even seen an echo system, which is, a, I think it's like an eight inch screen made by Amazon. And that can also have sort of this Dick Tracy type thing where you can just appear and talk to somebody and then they can talk to you. And so that's one option. So any of that kind of technology. Now, now you've already heard me say that the most common fall is in the bathroom. And I haven't heard a lot of people putting the cameras in the bathroom. And of course, that'd be fraught with also consent and privacy issues. But if you were looking totally just from the camera, like like the video perspective, that would be the most common place to to have a fall and to to possibly need some monitoring. I've also been to conferences for aging environments, and there's a technology you can put in the floor that will alert somebody that something has fallen onto the floor. Now, that's extremely expensive and probably way overkill, given what else is available out there. But that's how far we've thought, right? We've been like, well, let's actually just install something in the flooring itself so that if there is a person laying on the floor, that the authorities are alerted. So think of it like OnStar in your car. There's a car accident that caused the authorities. Well, that's what is in some of these more high-end senior flooring specialty stores is, is some some technology like that. Probably, I think, the more practical technology and maybe accessible would be wearable technology with a couple of caveats. And so there are some smartwatches out there that can detect falls The main issue with them is that they require being charged. And a lot of the smartwatches out there don't have a charge that lasts very long. And so if you have an older adult who's maybe not on top of charging all of their devices because they grew up when there was no charging of devices and maybe it's not part of their habits or maybe they have a little bit of cognitive impairment, you might buy a $400 watch that can detect falls that never goes on their wrists, right? And so for my grandmother and our place, well, obviously, usually one of us is home, but there is basically an ecosystem, like I talked about, an Amazon ecosystem where she can call or get help by by using her voice. And I think that's really important because you don't want somebody who's dependent on their phone to get help after a fall. And part of that is because they're just not carrying their phone with them. So the most likely time and place to fall is in the middle of the night in the bathroom, They're usually not getting up out of bed and going to the bathroom 
and carrying their phone with them. Now, if they're 25, they probably are. But if they're 85, they're probably not. And so they're not going to have that kind of technology in the bathroom. And as many of you know, I do aging in place design consulting on the side because I love it so much. And I remember being in a project and the architect was saying, uh, I was looking at the plans and I was asking why the bathroom was so close to the the main living area's kitchen. And they said, well, we do that so that if somebody falls in the bathroom, they could just scream really loud and hopefully somebody in the main house will hear them. And I was thinking like, that is crazy because there's technology that would negate the need for somebody to just scream really loud so somebody can come help them. Like there is, if you're able to scream, then there's voice activated technology that's very inexpensive and easy to install, usually just having some Wi-Fi and a plug that might be able to help them. Now, of course, it won't help you if that person is unconscious or other, otherwise unable to communicate. But for the vast majority of these mechanical falls, right, that person is still able to advocate for themselves and still conscious. And anyway, going back to that, we have, you know, like I said, the video technology and then the interactive technology like Echo or Google has some as well. And then that wearable technology. And and then, of course, as you know, there's always the fall alert badges or bracelets or necklaces. Those tend to also get a little bit expensive. And although they've been around for a long time and those are like the alert, they push a button and it alerts somebody to get help for them. Again, it only works if you wear it. And so if it's a necklace that somebody's wearing around their neck and they take it off to go to bed at night and they get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, here's the same problem. So if they fall and they're not wearing it, it's useless, totally useless, right? So that's why I like the idea of ambient technology that nobody has to charge and nobody has to wear. And and that could be just as simple as one of these interactive devices. Now, you do have to have somebody else that's willing to go in on the app and set things up so that that person can contact or call if they need help. But that, to me, is probably the most foolproof as long as you can educate that person on how to use it. Hey, here's how to call out. You know, here's who to call, you know, kind of go through the list like that. And I am so thankful that one of the things that has improved greatly, even since I, definitely since I went to medical school, is just, again, the accessibility of this affordable technology. You know, at Black Friday, I think it sells for like $49 or something that can really, really, really help older adults stay safe in their environments and and get the help that they need and, and try to stay independent. But anyway, that's kind of, and that's, there's way more than what I just talked about, but that's just a quick overview of the technologies that do exist currently that can be applied to help if, you know, once somebody does fall to shorten the time between the fall and the time that they're actually getting help. So I wouldn't be able to uh, do an episode about falls unless we talked about the use of what we call assistive devices. And these are your canes, walkers, wheelchairs, things like that. One of the most frustrating causes of falls is that these items are are basically issued and suggested as ways to not fall, but then the, there's again the compliance with using them, and and that I understand that. So that's that can be many factors. That could be the stigma of using a walker or a cane. That could be the I'll use it when I need it, but in the middle of the night I've just got a, a ten foot walk to the bathroom. I should be fine. Or I put it just out of reach, oh, it's too much trouble to go get it. But a lot of these falls are in the context of not having 
the appropriate what we call us that again assistive device uh, the cane or the walker or something like that and and i will say for for people that are new to using these types of devices it can be difficult to reintegrate that into your your life into your lifestyle into your choices and so you you know i don't blame people to, for forgetting their walker if they walked 85 years without using a walker it's not super easy to to reintegrate that now again for some people that have anxiety about falling then the walker or the cane become becomes their best friend and they don't want to go anywhere without it i wish there was a way to sort of wave a wand and and destigmatize the use of these devices and of course there isn't but they're fundamental to preventing falls all across the world, right? And, and these are very low cost, typically. I mean, a cane might cost, again, $50 or something like that. And many of these are issued by Medicare or other insurance companies. And, and these are not necessarily cost prohibitive items, but those walkers and those canes are keeping people from falling right now, just as we're talking. As as we speak, they're keeping them involved in their communities or their churches or their families or whatever is important to them, keeps them going to the doctor, keeping them safe. And these items need to be first and foremost uh, on that plan of the fall prevention. You know, are these items in the house? And you might think, well, I've never been, you know, I never really needed a walker right? Well, if if you've been dizzy when you stand up or you're having these issues, and maybe you go through days where the dizziness is worse or the side effects are worse, or when you get the flu, you feel really bad. Having a walker in the house just available can be reducing that biggest barrier, which is just it doesn't exist. I guess I won't use it, right? And so I, I've noticed with Nana, she's when, when she first moved here, didn't use a, a walker at all, except when she was going out. And now we're kind of at the level where she pretty much doesn't walk unless she's couch surfing, which is using her hands on furniture or has a walker with her. And one of the most encouraging things I've seen uh, since that fall, and we had a chance to kind of think about things, is she started doing a walking program in our house. So she walks around the kitchen a couple of times and has kind of challenged herself to try to stay at the walker slash wheelchair level so we don't go solely to to wheelchair use. So that's been really positive as well. But anyway, so I think helping somebody destigmatize that or supporting that or maybe even purchasing it, if that's a big barrier for them. Or I know for, uh, for Nana as well, that was a point where Medicare wasn't covering, I, I think it was a wheelchair or something like that. We're going back and forth, back and forth for many months about getting them to cover a wheelchair or a walker. And finally, I just went on Amazon and I thought, oh my God, like just you know, at one point it's worth just buying it and and having it available for use if that's what's going to keep somebody safe. So I would not recommend a months-long battle with an insurance company if you're able to afford the device outright. Many of these devices can be bought at on Amazon or other similar websites or even in uh, some of these medical equipment stores that, that have them basically in stock. And so I'd hate for somebody to fall for a lack of having a device that usually would cost under $100. Anyway, so I, I like I said, we can't get out of the falls talk without talking about the assistive devices. But so anyway, that I... I'm sorry if that was kind of a Debbie Downer talk. I, I hate falls. I hate what they do to patients. I think they're devastating and they're very expensive. And I wish that didn't happen. But because we're human beings and because of gravity, we can't change those two things, then I think they're going to be ever present for us. And I would take that anxiety and the fear around falls and and do what we can to translate that into controlling the things that we can control and kind of moving 
moving on from there. I hope this was helpful to you. Please do check out the show notes and uh, look for some resources there if you'd like. And please do leave me a review uh, wherever you're listening to this. Until next time, talk to you then. Hey, everyone, it's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.